It's Memorial Day weekend, and the weekend when we we pause to remember, uh, to reflect, to honor uh, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, for uh, our country in in a world that's broken, uh, full of people who are sinful and broken. There is sometimes conflict, not just between individuals, there's conflict between nations, and uh, obviously our history books are full of conflict. Uh, between one nation and another, groups of nations and another group of nations. And uh, as citizens of this country, we benefit from, we enjoy uh, the, the privileges that came at a high price for many people, for many families. And so this weekend, uh, we pause to honor uh, those individuals as well as the families who sacrificed so much so that we could meet here and that we could live in the freedom that we enjoy. And so uh, I hope that will be a part of your weekend, that you do pause and reflect on uh, those who made sacrifices for us in this country. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is also considered to be the, the unofficial beginning of summer. Uh, even though it's been 90 degrees all this past week and Technically, summer doesn't start till somewhere in mid-June. Most people look at Memorial Day weekend as the launch of summertime, the beginning of all the great things that they want to do, that they want to accomplish uh, for the summer. We're, we're excited about summer, right? Are we excited about summer? Some of us are excited about summer. Um, so here's what we're, we're doing. At, at the beginning of this summer, 2021, we're pausing... But before the summer runs away from us, before we get into really the dog days of summer, we're pausing and reminding ourselves as we work through this summer not to experience a spiritual slump in the summer, not, not to get farther away from God during this summer, that e- even though the summer is going to be filled with a lot of activity and a lot of things that we want to do and we're looking forward to do, God doesn't pause His work in us just because it's the summertime. God doesn't wait for school to start back or the fall weather to get here to do His work in us. And there's some unique opportunities in the summer because of flexible schedules and routines are a little bit different. And uh, you're going to be experiencing things in the summer you don't experience uh, normally throughout the rest of the year. There's some unique opportunities to hear from God, to be with God, to grow in your spiritual life. So we're saying, look, let's, let's don't spiritually slump in the summer. Let's draw closer to the Lord and learn what He wants to teach us this summer. Here's my encouragement for today. This is where we're going to land today. As a part of not slumping spiritually during the summer, I want to encourage you to remember to rest this summer, which may not be where you thought this was going to start, but I want to encourage you to remember to rest which may seem obvious, uh, Memorial Day weekend, right? Some of us are planning to rest all weekend if we can. Some of us look at the summer and we think, well, isn't that what summer is? Summer is all about rest. I plan to do a lot of resting this summer. But do we really? I mean, do, does anybody get to August 1st and just feel refreshed and rested? I feel so much. I'm invigorated. Most of us don't. Uh, and there's probably a lot of reasons 
for that. I, I, I think if we aren't intentional about rest, then it may not happen. We, we may think it's going to happen. We may plan for it to happen, but it might not actually happen. One year ago, uh, we were still in the midst of quarantine lockdown. It, it, was, it would still be several weeks after Memorial Day before we would meet in person. One year ago, we still weren't meeting in person. We had all at least somewhat adjusted to this crazy lockdown quarantine that we'd never experienced before. we kind of gotten over the initial hump of it. And so we were at a point one year ago where... I started having conversations with people who would say, you know, I'm really enjoying the flexible schedule that we have now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying the fact that we eat around the table as a family more than we've ever eaten around the table as a family. You know, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that we don't have all of these commitments all of the time. We're not running from place to place to place. And usually that conversation was followed with this statement. I really hope after this is over, we hang on to some of these things that we've learned. And most of us, one year later, have gone right back to the way life was prior to quarantine. I don't mean to speak for you. I'm just observing people. I'm watching social media. I'm seeing what people are talking about. And we had all of these great commitments during quarantine. Well, we're going to cut some things out. We're going to slow the pace down. We're not signing up for everything after that. And then everything started opening back up, and it was like we wanted to make up for lost time, right? We just started... Adding everything back to our schedules. We, we started adding all of the commitments back. We, we started signing up for all the things and getting involved in all the things. Our calendar has a way of doing that. It has a way of filling up all of the blank space if we allow it. Here we are at the beginning of uh, another summer. Unofficial start to summer. And on the one hand... Summer seems to stretch out in front of us like we have forever ahead of us this summer. All of summer is out there to be enjoyed. We're on the front end of this great time. We have so much summer ahead of us. It feels that way until you actually look at your calendar. And try to coordinate with somebody else. Have you already tried to do this? Hey, we need to get together this summer. Can we do it? No, we're going to be out of town on that. We're going to be out the next week. Then we got this thing the, the next week. And no, we can't do it that week. Right? The summer already feels like it has all of this stuff trying to get in and box out any sort of real rest. One of the things that contributes to it is the summer seems so short. It doesn't now because it's Memorial Day weekend and we think, oh, we got six months of summer in front. It just feels like forever. Again, until you pull out the calendar and you realize, oh, we got like this really short window of time and we didn't really get summer last year because of COVID. So we want to double summer this year. We're going to put everything in. Not trying to freak you out, but... If your calendar is at all affected by the school calendar, you have a really short window, right? You have nine weeks from Tuesday before Walton County schools start back. 
nine, the teachers are booing and hissing. I see you out there. You have nine weeks from this coming Tuesday until Walton County School starts back. If your kid is involved in sports, band, or any other extracurricular, you have a lot less than nine weeks before all the craziness starts again. So there's this pressure to get everything in. we got to take all our trips and do all our things and have all of our fun. And I get it. I get it. I, I like summer things too. I like to do all the summer things. I like to do as many summer things as possible. I like summer too. What I want us to think about here as we start heading into summer is that you and I need rest this summer. Maybe this summer more than any other. I mean, coming off the past year, right? mentally, emotionally, we're just kind of carrying a lot of stuff with us. Now, here's the, here's the spiritual aspect of that. When you read through the scriptures, one of, you, one of the things you find is that God frequently describes his work in our life as rest. He frequently describes the end result of what he's doing in our lives as rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest, peace, like the Old Testament Hebrew word shalom, a deep sense of peace, abiding in relationship with God, not hurried and frantic and, and afraid. The Bible describes the work of God in our life often as rest. Psalm 23, really popular psalm. A lot of people know it, whether you've been in church or not, you've probably heard this. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So when I'm walking closely with God, it's not characterized by frantic pace. Apparently, it's characterized by resting in Him, being refreshed in Him, being restored in Him. There's a, there's a, a deep sense of peace. Uh, there is uh, spiritual rest and contentment, emotional rest and contentment, able to breathe. When we are walking closely with God, Jesus, over in the New Testament, Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you this deep peace in your life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to bring our worries and our brokenness and our hurriedness and our frantic lifestyle and bring them to him and trust him with our life. And Jesus says, this is what I'm going to give you as, I, as my work is happening in your life. I'm going to give you rest, give you shalom. I'm going to give you a deep sense of peace. This is the work of Jesus in us. He doesn't tell us, bring him our burdens and he'll give us more busyness. He doesn't tell us, bring him our burdens and he'll make our stress level go up. He says, come to me, trust me, walk with me, and I'm going to build in your life a deep sense of peace. Sometimes we stay so busy, so frantic, so frayed in our life that we 
we don't experience this deep work of Jesus in our, in our hearts. I, I've been tempted to order the t-shirt. Maybe you've seen it. Seen it. it says, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. Right? Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. Reference to Mark chapter 4. There's a story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and they get into the middle of a storm and the disciples are freaking out and they look around and they can't find Jesus. He's in the bottom of the boat asleep, taking a nap. Right? And not just sort of awkwardly laying against the side of the boat. Uh, the Bible says that he was sleeping on a cushion. Like Jesus was stretched out. Like when you take a nap at home, not just kind of on the recliner, but covers pulled up. Jesus was out. We, we need these times of physical, spiritual, emotional rest. At one point, a few chapters later, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says to his followers, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus not only did this himself, he encouraged his disciples, find time to unplug, disengage, rest. You were not created to go 90 miles an hour hour all of the time. The time Jesus in his humanity did not do that. If Jesus needed rest, you and I need rest. Beginning the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, the creation story. We're told by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. God rested, you've heard it said, not because he was tired, not because he needed to rest, but as an example to us of what our life is going to look like. There are going to be seasons of work, but there's going to be seasons of rest. This eventually becomes a command in the Bible. This is Exodus 34. Six days you shall labor... But on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. God demonstrates a, a, a rhythm of activity followed by rest. Rith, activity followed by rest. Activity followed by rest. He even says, even in the busy season, even in the plowing season, even when the harvest has got to come, you got to take time to refresh and restore and rest even in those times throughout your life. This rhythm is important of work and rest, activity and rest. Of course, we get to the New Testament, and the religious leaders turn even that into a competition, right? The religious leaders make rest a to-do list. Here's all the things you shouldn't be doing, and Jesus at one point has to say, no, Look, this isn't a to-do list. It's not going to look the same for everybody. You don't get to decide what's rest for that person, and that person doesn't get to decide what's rest for you. I just want you to get some rest. Don't burden each other with another to-do list. But what is rest? Rest is not just napping, although napping can be great. I'm pro-napping. Rest is what restores and refreshes you. What is it that re-energizes you? What do you do? What, what has God given you as something you love, something you want to do, something you enjoy doing that restores and refreshes you? It's, um, 
It's possible that we aren't growing spiritually. We're struggling relationally. Maybe we're struggling creatively. We're having trouble thinking. We're having trouble making plans because we haven't rested. We haven't pulled out of the busyness and been restored, been refreshed. Let's get some perspective on this idea. Three perspectives. One is activity is good. I don't want to be misunderstood. Activity is good. Work is good. Doing and going is good. Activity and ministry is good. Right? God, God's not saying rest is good, work is bad. Right? Don't miss the point. God worked for six days and then he rested. Right? Activity is good. And just so we cover everybody who came today and everybody who's watching online, maybe there is someone you're really good at resting. You need to focus a little more on working. Right? You need to focus a little more on activity. Right? Activity is good. Work's good. Those are good things. This is not either or. As a matter of fact, God worked six days and rested one day. Work is good. God creates Adam and immediately gives Adam meaningful work to do. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't because Adam sinned. It wasn't after the fall, after sin. Before any of that, God gave to Adam as a good gift meaningful work to do so that Adam will see that his life is productive, he has something to give. God knew that'd be a piece of our heart. God God knew that'd be a part of our makeup is that we would find joy in productive work. Work is good. Activity is good. It's one of the ways we enjoy all that God has given to us. So activity is good. Secondly, I would say, fatigue is good. Fatigue is good. It's good to be worn out from meaningful work. Right? To put in a full day's work at your job and to be tired at the end of the day is a blessing from God. Like you worked hard and you came home tired. That's good. Like that's good, meaningful fatigue. Fatigue can be good in ministry. We're going to have Vacation Bible School uh, starting a week from tomorrow. And at the end of Vacation Bible School, all of the volunteers are going to be fatigued. They're going to be tired. And it's going to be a good tired. Because they're going to be sharing the gospel all week with boys and girls. And they're going to be sharing Christ's love with them and, and helping them in games and crafts and laughing with them. They're going to be tired. It's a good tired. Fatigue is good. Um, Fatigue, when it comes to the activity in your family, is good. If you are the parent of a 2021 graduate, you are fatigued this morning. I see that head in the back. Yeah, you are tired this morning. Uh, you've had graduation ceremonies, you've had graduation parties, you've had family in town, you are tired and it's a good tired because you've celebrated this meaningful moment in the life of your child, this meaningful moment in the life of your family and you are worn out, you are completely exhausted and it's a good exhaust, it's a good tired. 
Activity is good. Work is good. To be tired from meaningful work and activity is good. When my family goes on vacation and we take a destination vacation, I don't mean we go to the same beach we've gone to for 15 years. We do that too. We do some rest vacations where we go somewhere and we just stay put and we just rest. But when we go to Disney World or we go to New York or we go to visit a city we've never been before, um, our goal is to get absolutely everything out of every minute when we do one of those. Because we don't ever know when we're going to go back. We don't know how long it'll be before we go back. So we go with the mindset, we're getting everything out of this vacation. We, I have spreadsheets from vacations that we have taken. I'm not kidding. I've done a PowerPoint presentation before we went on a vacation one time, right? Because we get up early, we stay up late, we do everything we could possibly cram in to that one week. When my kids go on vacations with other families, they kind of don't know how to handle themselves. Because if the other family says they're going back to the hotel room at 7.30, my kids are like, 7.30? Like, this, the night just started. It means 7.30. I mean, we're going to sleep till 10. I could ride six rides, see three shows, and eat two desserts by 10 o'clock. Like, we don't sleep till 10 in our family. Look, that's not how you have to do it. You don't have to do it the way we do it. If you don't want to do it the right way, do it your way. That's fine. The way we do it, like if we're going somewhere and we're paying a lot of money to go somewhere and there's stuff to see, we're going to see it. We're going to do it. We're going to eat it. We're going to enjoy it. And we come back exhausted. Our feet hurt. Our legs hurt. Our back hurts. Everything hurts when we get back from one of those vacations. It's a good fatigue, though. <clears throat> because it's a fatigue that's full of memories and stories and laughter and pictures and Facebook memories going to pop up every year after that. And it's going to remind us we did this crazy trip and we had all this fun and we were exhausted when we got back. Activity's good. Fatigue is good. Nothing wrong with being tired. Rest is good. Like this is the cycle that God created. You're going to work. You're going you're to have seasons of activity. You're going to have times when you're working. And that's going to lead to being tired sometimes. And that's good. We're supposed to wear ourselves out sometimes. We're, we're supposed to work hard and, and be tired. But then activity and fatigue is to lead to rest. Uh, all three are important. See, the, the problem... It's not any of those three. The problem is when we get stuck in one of them. When we get stuck in perpetual activity, which leads to perpetual fatigue, and we don't ever take time to rest. You just keep going and going and going, and, and you stay there long enough. You stay going and going long enough, and you're going to get worn out. You're going you're gonna to pass fatigue into something much, much more harmful to you, much more dangerous to you. Some of us stay in fatigue for so long <clears throat> that we think fatigue is normal. We begin to think, well, this is just the way people feel. 
It's just the way I'm supposed to feel. I'm always supposed to be tired. I'm always supposed to be irritable. Like I'm always supposed to have trouble putting my thoughts together and figuring things out. I'm just always supposed to be. Sometimes we stay in that zone so much, we begin to normalize fatigue because we haven't taken time to rest. It begins to affect our relationships. It begins to affect our ability to be creative and problem solve. It, it begins to affect our ability to hear from the Lord, to feel spiritually close to the Lord because we're so tired. Our hearing of the, the leading of the Lord becomes dull because we aren't doing what Jesus did. We aren't getting away and resting and refueling and refreshing. Interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 18 about the prophet Elijah. One of Elijah's big moments is um, he had this competition with the prophets of Baal, which was a false god. Uh, Elijah's uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord during one of the, one of the most evil, corrupt kings that Israel ever knew, King Ahab. As a matter of fact, the Bible, when it introduces King Ahab, says King Ahab did more evil than all those who came before him. And so here's Elijah standing strong for the Lord, confronting the king, confronting his wife, uh, confronting the prophets of this false god. And so one day they come up with this idea that the prophets of Baal, there were 450 prophets of Baal, that they would build an altar and they would make a sacrifice and then they would call out to their false gods to come consume the sacrifice, send fire down, consume the sacrifice. And so they do that all day, and there's a lot of details to the story. All day long, they're calling out, and, and then they um, resort to some pretty extreme measures, trying to get their God's attention. Then at the end of the day, after they give up, Elijah builds an altar, cuts up a bull, puts the sacrifice on the altar, pours water over the altar. It's just thoroughly drenched. And with one prayer, God calls out to, uh, Elijah calls out to his God, and God sends fire and consumes the sacrifice and burns up the wood and burns up the stones and dries up all the water. So this is a huge display of God. The very next chapter, 1 Kings 19 says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, if I don't kill you, Elijah. If you've ever had a season in your life where you felt like hard things just kept coming one right after the other, difficult things just kept coming one right after the other. That's Elijah. Elijah's been serving under this evil king. He's been speaking for God under this evil king, standing against the king. He spent a whole day facing off against 450 prophets of Baal. All of the other prophets of God have either been killed or they're in hiding somewhere. Elijah's really one of the few that's publicly standing against the king, and, and now the king and queen are trying to kill him. Here's what happened next. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. 
while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. And this is the prayer of of Elijah. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Which sounds like some of our prayers, right? Have you ever prayed that? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He'd had enough. He's exhausted. Mentally, he's exhausted. Emotionally, he's exhausted. Elijah wants to die. He's at that point in fatigue, in exhaustion. So, so what does God do with a prophet who's exhausted? What does God do with a prophet who stood so boldly against the prophets of Baal, who just yesterday demonstrated the power of God and now Today, he wants to die. What does God do with that prophet? This is what he does. Verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah falls asleep, and God lets him sleep and wakes him up. Sends an angel with a DoorDash, brings in some food. Elijah gets up and eat, goes right back to bed. Right? Anybody been there? Like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to eat, I'm going to go right back to bed. That's Elijah. He ate enough, he went right back to bed. Angel shows back up, taps him on the shoulder, another DoorDash, eat. God gets him to this cave at Horeb. He goes right back to sleep. What, is, what does God do? With a person who's exhausted, he says, get some rest. Eat, take care of yourself. Go to sleep. What happens next is God begins to move Elijah, now that he's rested, begins to move Elijah back to activity. He begins to call him to get back to work. Because this activity, fatigue, rest, rhythm was true for Elijah too. God allowed him to rest and then God shows back up. And and, and this is that moment, this is that moment uh, in Elijah's life where God comes to him and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? In other words, you can't stay here. And Elijah vents to God and he's angry and he's, he's frustrated with God, and God, God brings him out, and maybe you remember this story, uh, there's an earthquake, and there's fire, and, and then finally God appears in a still, small voice, like after being completely worn out, and God giving him time to rest, there's this reminder, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm still speaking, there's still more for us to do. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to doing what you're called to do. What what I find is that God often speaks the clearest when we're still. 
God often speaks the clearest when, when we slow down and when we listen and when our life is not filled with all of the things that keep us from hearing the voice of God. And that's Elijah. He's exhausted. Let's rest. Just rest. God starts to speak again. Elijah starts to hear again. Elijah starts to obey again. A couple of final thoughts about rest. Rest is a reminder that God loves us for who we are, not what we do. When I'm willing to rest, it is a reminder that God isn't measuring His love for me based on my activity for Him. God loves me completely, regardless of what I do or how busy I am or how active I stay. God loves me for me. Because He created me, made me in His image, sent His Son to die for me. God loves me for me, not for all the things I do. If we're not careful, we can measure our life, we can even measure our spirituality in the things that we do. Second, rest is an acknowledgement that God is in control. Rest is an opportunity to be reminded The world will continue to spin if I'm not frantically busy. God will still be accomplishing His work if I'm not exhausted. I am not the centerpiece of what God is trying to do. Everything that's happening in this world or in my world even doesn't depend on me. Listen. If you die today, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, If you die today, the office at your job will open tomorrow. And your office will be cleaned out by Tuesday. I mean, the world goes on. The world goes on. And, and, And rest is one way of affirming. Yes, I have a purpose. I have things that I contribute, but I can step back and the world's going to keep going on. God's going to keep being in control. I don't have to be exhausted in order for God to accomplish His work. And third, rest allows us to enjoy what's in front of us. Rest allows us to enjoy what's in front of us. Sometimes we're running so fast from one thing to the next. We're getting to all of the appointments and showing up for all the things, and we aren't enjoying any of it. And we're not enjoyable to be around through any of it, quite frankly. Rest, space, refreshing, peace, allows me to look at what's in front of me, and it may be an active season. I I may be a little tired, but, but if I'm consistently gaining refreshment and rest, I'm able to view what's in front of me as a gift from God and enjoy it. It's one of the beautiful things about the creation story is just how often God stops and says, this is good. This is good. It's always a good reminder to me. In my life, there needs to be periodic times where I stop and go, you know, this is good. This is good. There's so much good that's in front of me. Sometimes we live at such a pace 
to add the next thing and do the next thing and get to the next thing that we don't pause enough to say, God, this is good. Thank you for your gifts to me. Thank you for the people in my life. Thank you. Thank you for this season. Thank you that we could enjoy this time together away as a family. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing among the people that I know. This is good. Busy, hectic, frantic people rarely stop to say, yeah, but this is good. This part's really good. Summer's going to be a busy season. It's going to fly past. You're going to have a lot of things on your calendar. Make sure that there is unhurried time in your summer. Make sure there is time that you can hear Jesus speak. That, that you can be reminded of his presence in your life. That he can show you things in his word that he wants to show you this summer. But you're going to get still for that. You're going to have to slow down for that. You're going to have to have space to listen. Elijah reminds us, he, he usually doesn't speak in the earthquake. He doesn't speak in the fire. He usually speaks in a still, small voice. And if our life is so loud and busy, we will miss that voice. Remember to rest this summer. God, I pray that you would teach us to rest in you to find our strength in you, to find our peace in you, to find our hope in you. We are so tempted, most of us, to fill up every day and fill up every moment and run fast and do more. Burden us with the need to have a, the rhythm of rest in our life as well. A rhythm of being refreshed and restored and renewed. That our trust in you would grow. That we would hear clearly from you. And what you want to teach us. And what you want to say to us. And all the things that we're going to enjoy this summer. Help us to enjoy you. By getting still. And getting quiet. I pray it in Jesus name. Amen.